welcome back to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are in the fourth week of our series in the book of James, and today we're talking about anger. As we dive into probably one of the more famous quotes in the book of James, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, Chris delivers some practical applications on what that looks like and challenges us to evaluate our own hearts in regards to anger. Let's take a listen. Well, good morning. Are you guys ready? We have got quite a day for you. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you're joining us for the first time, we are in a series through the book of James, and this is week four. You can go back and watch the other three online for free at vineyardwheeling.com. encourage you to do so. Uh, I love the book of James because it is, it's practical Christianity, right? I mean, it is it, it, like... James takes the things that Jesus taught, James is Jesus' half-brother, takes the things that Jesus taught and just puts the cookies on the bottom shelf so that we can, we can access them like, like you live this way because of this, right? Are you following me? This is super, super important. And, and here's the deal with James. If you will take the topics we're covering week in and week out, and you will apply them to your life, and you will, will live them out. And this is why it's so important that you get this deep inside of you, not just up here, but like down inside of you. Because if you will live these things out, if they will become a part of who you are and change the way you see the world, but change the way you live in the world as well, it will transform your life. That's why I'm so excited about James. That's why we're taking like 15, 20 weeks to go through James, because there's so much here that it's three verses at a time. Here's another principle. Here's something else. And so super, super, in- yes, I agree 100%. So that's, that's where we are. So if you can open up to James chapter 1, like I said, we're going to be in verse 19. So if you're wondering where James is, it's kind of in the back of the Bible, towards the back of the Bible. Um, if you don't know where to find it, then I encourage you to use the index in the front of the Bible, and it will tell you exactly what page we're on, because we're still in chapter 1. All right. So let's break this down. Are you ready? All right. James 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters... Take note of this. I want to stop on take note of this. And you're like, we're never going to get through this. You're right, we're not. It's going to take forever. Uh, James encourages us to really not just read past this, but to dial in on it, to, to take note of it. And this is so important. I was having a conversation with a friend this week, and they were saying, they were telling me, you know, when you started talking about bringing your Bible to church, I thought, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. I got, uh, you know, I, I, the, the scripture's on the screen. You don't need, I don't need to bring a Bible. Uh, and then you kept saying it and you kept saying it. So finally I got my Bible and I got my notebook and I'm sitting there and I'm opening up and I'm following along. And you know what I'm fi- finding out as I'm taking note of this? It's sinking in. I'm, I'm learning in a completely different way. I've got my, I've got my you know, things highlighted. I've got my notes in the margin. It is starting to sink into my life in a way that it wasn't when I was just kind of kicking back and just watching what was going on. And so, again, take note of this. And I want to encourage you to do this. You know, the Air Force did a study several years ago, and what they found out is that you forget 95% of what you've heard within 72 hours. You forget it. 
unless you write it down, unless you take note of it. So James is offering us just a really pointed piece of wisdom here because we don't want to just hear it as, you're gonna, as we're going to learn in the days ahead. We want to do it. And in order to do it, we have to get it into us. We have to process it. We have to let it marinate inside of us. And to do that, we need to take note of it. Does that make sense? Say yes. Okay, so if you don't have a Bible to bring to church, get one. And uh, as I've said the last couple weeks, we have a book table out in the lobby with all kinds of great study Bibles on it. Uh, and uh, you don't have to buy it from us. We don't make any money on the Bibles. I just want to be clear about that. We're just doing this as a service so you know what kind of Bible to get. There's all kinds of great versions out there. But get a study Bible, and if you don't have the money for a study Bible, we can order you one. We have some very generous folks in the church who said nobody goes without a Bible. So if you don't have the money to buy a Bible and you can't get the money to buy a Bible, then stop by and let us know. We'll order you one and get a notebook as well. All right, my, de my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. All right, let's break this down. This is pretty simple, right? This is, this is as straightforward as it gets, and yet this is amazingly profound. Everyone should be quick to listen. That means rather than quick to respond, we should be, you know, shut the pie hole, open the ears, quick to listen. But what does listening really mean? What does it mean to listen to somebody? We think, well, listening to somebody is just being quiet. It's just, you know, giving them space to speak. And that's part of the equation, but that's not really listening. Listen, and this is point number one. You may want to write this down. Take note of this. When you listen, listen to understand. Listen to understand. Be quick to listen. Point one, listen to understand. You know, most of the time when we listen, we listen so we can respond we listen so we can uh, win the argument. We listen so that we can be smarter than the other person and everybody else in the room. Or, guys, we listen so we can fix the problem, don't we? We're, I mean, we're not really listening. We're just picking up enough data and information so that our problem-solving gears can kick into, 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 into gear and, and so we can solve the problem. That's why we listen. Listening to understand is a completely different process, isn't it? Listening to understand communicates something. You know, they, they say uh, God's given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. It's a two-to-one ratio. We, we, listen, we should listen twice as much as we speak, and that's not a bad idea. We should be quick to listen. And and here's the deal about listening to understand. When you truly listen to understand, you are speaking a universal love language, aren't you? Like, there is something inside of every one of us that longs to be understood, that longs to be listened to. When you think about it, you know, people who go out on that first date, you know, and, and there's either chemistry or there's not. It's like, yeah, it was fine, whatever. But you talk to the people who really hit it off, 
And almost universally, what they will tell you is, we went out to dinner, and then it was like six hours later, and we just talked the whole time, and it felt like a half hour. You know what I'm saying? That happens all because they're listening to one another, because they are fully engaged, and they are listening to understand. It is a love language And it is universal across the human race. We all have a deep need for this. Jesus said in John 13, the distinguishing factor for Christians is that they're going to know you're Christians not by your theology, not by how much Bible you know, not by how many times a week you go to church, but by how what? How you love one another. This is one of the most practical ways we can love people is to listen, and not just listen, not just shut the pie hole, but open the ears and listen to understand. People are dying to be listened to. They're dying to be understood. You know, there, there's months-long waiting lists to get in to see a counselor. You know what a counselor is? Somebody you pay $100 to so they'll listen to you for an hour. Seriously, a, ca- a good counselor is 90% listening and 10% giving you some, some perspective. They listen. And there's something amazingly powerful and therapeutic about being listened to. You begin to process your own stuff. And we all long for that. We all long for that. And when we feel understood, we feel loved. Couples, married couples who are like, man, the fire's kind of gone. We're just kind of cohabitating now. You want to turn the fires back up at home? Apply what we're learning today. Start listening to understand. Start engaging the way I'm going to teach you today to engage. And the heat will go up, I promise you. You want to become a better person, a better friend, the kind of person that other people want to spend time with? Listen. Listen to understand. Everybody longs for this. And James is telling us this is a decision that you can make. This is something that, that, like, you have control over this. You can decide to be a listener. You can decide to listen to understand. It's a habit you can develop over time. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell us to do it, right? Um, Now, listening to understand is not, like I said, it's not just being quiet. It's not just going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. It's not listening to understand. It's not sitting on, and we do this, we all do this all the time, right? We sit next to each other on the, fo- on the, on the couch and we're like, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> You're not listening to understand. You're not truly engaged. It's being quiet isn't necessarily listening. It's a prerequisite to listening. You need to be able to be quiet. But you need to be able to engage, ask great open-ended questions. That's one of the things that counselors do really well. They'll ask questions like, hmm, how does that make you feel? Where, where do you think that comes from? What, what happened that led you to respond that way kind of habitually? Where, where, where do you think that's coming from? Th- those aren't the only questions. Those are great questions. Write those questions down use them. <laughs> but open-ended questions that really draw out the thing behind the thing that the person is sharing with you because there's usually, and you you know what that shows them? You want to understand them. That's listening to understand. And then after you ask open-ended questions, shut up. (laughs) 
and listen. And this, that leads to the next part of this verse. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Now, I want you to notice it doesn't say don't speak. It says be slow to speak. All right, so we're going to speak half as much as we're going to listen. And when we do speak, this is point number two, speak to show you understand. Speak to show you understand. Don't make it about you. Make it about them. And so this is called, you know, this was all the rage several years ago, active listening. You guys familiar with active listening? It's profound. You know, the, 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 famous, the famous line that people use is, so what I hear you saying is, and then you restate what you heard them saying. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can say that. You can say, huh, so you're saying that you feel this way because of whatever, and you, you, you speak back to them what you heard them saying. And then you give them an opportunity to clarify. And what that does is that gives them an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper and to share what's going on with them. Does that make sense? Listen to understand, and then when you speak, be slow to speak after listening, and speak to show that you understand. Now, here's the thing about this. This is all about the other person, isn't it? This requires a reorientation in our soul because, let's be honest, in our world, in our culture, in our broken, sinful humanness, it is all about me, and it is all about you. We make it all about us. And selfishness is one of the hallmarks of our sinful nature, all right? It's also a hallmark of our, of, of our culture. Everything's about me. Look at, you know, look at this picture of my, the dinner I made. Look at this picture of my vacation. Look at this picture of how great my kids are. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's all about me. And James is saying, no, 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 no. Let's reorient from selfishness to otherliness. This is at the core of what he's talking about. You ever heard the word otherliness? It's focusing on others. This is a profound shift. Reorient your life. This is point three. Reorient your life to being otherly. Now, are you an otherly-oriented person? The answer to that question is probably not, not as much as you want to be, because we're all born selfish sinners. We all have a sin nature. Our culture is ridiculously narcissistic, which means it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. This is another decision that you can make. You can make this decision, reorient your life to be otherly. You know, almost all of our relationship issues back up to selfishness, don't they? Well, they do. Almost all of them. It's all about me. But maturity, spiritual maturity, relational maturity, emotional maturity looks different. It puts the other person first. The best leaders are not all about themselves. They're about the people that they're leading. Jesus said as much in Matthew 20, 25. He said this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. What does a servant and a slave, what is their orientation? 
It's all about the master. They are there to serve somebody else. And that's what Jesus is saying here about us. Make it about others, not all about you. Guys, this is a fundamental shift in thinking. This is a fundamental shift in the way that we live. It's completely countercultural to everything going on around us. And it is profound because if you can get this, you become a way better friend, a way better daughter, mother, brother, father, relative, whatever. You become the kind of person that other people want to spend time with. And this doesn't mean that you don't ever get to share your stuff. And in fact, if it's important that you have people in your life who are living the same way. This is why we so emphasize finding Christian friends, not eliminating non-Christian friends, but you have to have some people around you who are living the same way. Because then, as you ask questions, as you listen, you know, they're going to do the same for you. Maybe not even in the same conversation, but you're going to have that opportunity. You're not going to get that typically outside of what Jesus taught us. You know, I tell married couples, if you want to have the best marriage in the world, outserve one another, outlove one another. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100, and it all works out in the wash. You know, and some days it's going to be about her needs, and some days it's going to be about his needs, but ultimately, if you're outserving one another, if you're focused that way, everything gets taken care of, rather than trying to, to extract it from one another. Give it freely. And that's the same thing here. Have people in your life who are living the same way, who are oriented, otherly people who are oriented the same way. So reorient your life to be otherly, point number three. Point number, or no, I'm sorry. And then he says, and be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I think if you're quick to listen and slow to speak, you develop that understanding, then you are going to be slow to become angry. It's going to kind of slow down that anger process if there's even a reason to be angry at that point. Now, there's a difference between feeling anger and becoming angry. Can you feel the difference? Feeling anger, anger is an emotion. We're going to feel it. It happens. We don't even really control it. We can influence it by being quick to listen and slow to speak. But becoming angry is, has a, a kineticness to it. There's an action to it. It's a snap reaction that happens inside of us. And it happens because we didn't listen and because we didn't understand. Now, here's what I know. Some of us are quick to become angry. And we'd say, well, you know, so the Italian festival is going on right now. I don't know if you know this, but I'm Italian. And so Italians are known for having a short fuse, right? They, they lose their temper. So oh, I'm Italian. I can't help it, you know. Um, and there are people who, who just, just kind of their default. And they've learned it from their parents who learned it from their parents. Several years ago, Malcolm Gladwell, famous author, wrote a book called Outliers. And in the book, he unpacks this study that they did at the University of Michigan. 
and uh, they were studying anger. And they were studying this snap reaction anger, a quick to anger kind of thing. And, um, and so what they found is that people from the hills and hollers of Appalachia tend to be very quick to fight, very quick to anger. Like you bump into them in the hallway and it's like, let's go. You insulted my mother. I'm going to, you know, I mean, it was just, it's just like that. And so they started to look into that, and the hypothesis that they came up with is it kind of backs up to the Hatfields and McCoys. Somebody stole somebody's pig, and now we got all kinds of dead people all over Appalachia, right? I mean, it's like it's back and forth. It's like, you insulted me, you did this, boom, boom, and it just blows up into this thing. And so they started unpacking that. Where does that come from? And a lot of those people, a lot of the folks who live in the, the hollers and hills of Appalachia came from Scotland. That's where their ancestry is from, where the, there's a clan, a, you know, the history is clans and an honor culture. And so, you know, in that culture, you know, you insult my clan, my clan's going to war against you, and it's quick to fight. It's quick to anger. It's like boom, boom, boom. And so what they figured out is that the person today at the University of Michigan who gets bumped into in the hallway learn to be quick to respond in anger from their daddy who learned it 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 from William Wallace. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like we just conditioned, we learned that. Now, here's the good news, if that's you. If you learned that, you can unlearn it. If you learned it, if it's a learned response, you can identify it, make a decision, and become slow to anger might take some work, probably aren't going to get it right, right away. You're going to have to recondition yourself, but you can do it, and you want to do it. You don't have to pass that on to your kids. That doesn't have to be the legacy of your family. And as we're about to see, what, what James says is it doesn't bring about the righteousness that God desires. It's not the way we want to live. We want to live the other way. Now, there's another group of us who are what I call rageaholics. And you, you like lose control. Like something happens and you snap and it's like, and, and, and people who do that, people who have this particular, I don't know if it's a condition or what, I think it is. I read a book on this a couple years ago. They feel horrible when it's done. It's like they lost themselves for a moment, completely lost control. They are, they're remorseful afterwards. They, they feel horrible about it. They're embarrassed. And there are many of us sitting here today that are in that boat. And, and the condition is this. What, what they've found is that there are some people who their immediate response to any stressor is an adrenaline dump. Their adrenals dump adrenaline. What does adrenaline do in our system? It causes that flight or fight response, right? When, when you have adrenaline in your system, you know, people can lift cars off of other people. Like it's superhuman strength. And you're kind of in another space. You're in another headspace. And so there are some of us, that's the situation you're in. You have this adrenal dump. And you're like, you lose control. You don't even know what you're doing at the time, or you do, but you don't care because you got this drug called adrenaline going through your veins. And then afterwards, you're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? That's so embarrassing. 
and then you make excuses for yourself so you can live with yourself afterwards. If that's where you are, I want you to know at the vineyard, it's okay to not be okay. Here is a safe place to begin to heal and live a different way. It's okay to not be okay. There is grace, there is mercy, there is understanding. But you need to understand this as well. It's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay as much as it depends on you to continue in that pattern. But in order to break that pattern, if you're in the adrenal dump category, you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to get lots of prayer. You're going to have to cry out to God. You're going to have to get support. You're going to have to learn to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And you you may never completely kick it, but I'm telling you, if you're quick to listen, slow to speak, you've got support and people around you, you know what it is, you are going to move from where you are to a much better place. And maybe you will completely kick it. But you got to humble yourself. That's why small groups are so important. We do life groups because we need people around us, whether it's this issue or any other issue that we're struggling with, that we can go, you know what? I struggle with this. I need you guys to pray for me. I need accountability. I need help. I need a place to share. So important. Don't be content to stay where you are. And hear this. God loves you. He forgives you, and there's a better way to live, and you're on the journey there if you decide to be. Now, I know there are some of you who are going, yeah, but Chris, what about stuff that's worth getting angry about? I mean, there are some things in this world that are worth getting angry about. And I would say, look, if you are quick to listen, slow to speak, you process all of that, and there's a righteous anger that bubbles up inside of you, Okay, okay. The issue is what you do with that righteous anger. Now, the thing about righteous anger, you know, we read about God getting angry. It's always about an injustice towards somebody else, right? Most of us get angry because something happened to us. Righteous anger is about an injustice towards somebody else, and it's usually educated, and it's slow to come. It's a slow boil. It's not something that happens fast. The uh, couple weeks ago, a movie came out called The Sound of Freedom. Um, if you've not seen The Sound of Freedom, it's still in theaters, and I would encourage you to go this afternoon and watch The Sound of Freedom. It's amazing. It's about this guy named Tim Ballard, who was a, um, a, uh, an agent in Homeland Security, and he got put on busting people who are selling children in sex trafficking. And um, I won't... I won't I won't spoil the movie for you. But if by the end of that movie, if you are not angry about what's going on in our world today, if you're not angry about the fact that there are two million sex slaves in our world, more slaves today than ever existed at any one point in time in the history of the world, and most of them are children, and if that doesn't tick you off, then there's something wrong with you. That is a righteous anger. And that's okay. But we, you know, in those situations, we typically don't lash out, and we certainly shouldn't. 
We should be motivated to do something about it, to get involved, to make a difference. In Ephesians 4, chapter, or Ephesians 4 verse 26, the Apostle Paul said, this, said it this way, In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. So if you become angry, or if you have the feeling of anger, do not become angry. And I, I like the way the King James puts that, become angry. He says, don't rage. Does that help make that make more sense? Don't rage in your anger. Don't sin in your anger. And then he says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And that's point number four. It's okay to get angry. It's not okay to stay angry. It's okay to get angry. It's okay to have the emotion of anger. It's not okay to hold on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. Because, and he tells us why in a moment, but he makes it clear that's a sin. That, that opens us up to some really bad stuff. It's okay to get angry. It's not okay to stay angry. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, some people are like, oh, I got to forgive by, by sunset. Oh, it's going down over the hill and I'm still pissed off. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. Christy, I'm sorry. I apologize to my wife for saying that in church. Somebody's angry now. Um, you can explain it to your children later. Um, flawed pastor. Um, you know, we think it's got to get it before the sun, the sun goes down. Basically, all he's saying is, look, don't hold on to it. It's not about the sunset. It's about letting go of the things that, that get us angry. Let it, don't, don't hold on to them. Don't sin with them. And as we calm down, let them go. Because, and do not give the devil a foothold. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin to stay angry because it gives the devil a place to, to take up residence in our heart, to, to begin to mess with us. Bitterness, unforgiveness, and perpetual anger will jack your heart up and will give the enemy space to mess with you. An angry heart is easily corruptible. Which brings me to point number five. It's okay to get angry. It's not okay to act angry. In your anger, don't sin. It backfires every time. Every time. Back to James, he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because what? Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Our anger doesn't accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our lives. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make the situation better. It doesn't help others. It makes you look silly. It doesn't, you know, and you might get what you want in the moment because you were a bully with your anger. You might, you might win the moment, you'll lose the big picture. You are undermining so much in your life when you choose to go that way. I put it this way, the person who loses their cool, loses. 
The person who loses their cool loses. Back in the 60s during the civil rights uh, you know, battle over civil rights with Martin Luther King Jr., he required that if you're going to walk, if you're going to march with him, you have to sign off on a document that says, I'm not going to strike back in anger. You know, if they sick dogs on me, I'm not going to strike back in anger. If they beat me with clubs, I'm not going to strike back in anger. If they hit us with fire hoses, I'm not going to strike back in anger. Why? Because Martin Luther King understood the, the nation and the world was watching, and if we lose our cool, we lose. But if the other side loses their cool, then they lose. And that's exactly what happened. That's why the civil rights movement was successful. And the same thing is true in your life. When you lose your cool, you lose. People can see right and wrong so clearly in those moments. Martin Luther King understood that. You need to understand that as well. Now, I know there's at least one or two of you going, yeah, but what about Jesus turning over the tables in the temple? Well, you're not Jesus. And let me tell you what I mean by that. It says human anger does not accomplish the righteousness that God wants to accomplish. Jesus was human, but he was also God. And he had the authority to become angry and to express anger like that in the moment. And I would say 99.9 times out of 100, we're going to get it wrong if we express that anger. So play the odds and just don't do it. Jesus was God. He knew that was the moment, and he did what he did. Here's the other thing about that. That was a slow burn, right? Jesus didn't just walk into the temple and go, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? He'd been going to the temple for 30-plus years. He had been watching as they turned God's house, this place where people were supposed to come and experience the presence and the power of God, and they turned it into a marketplace, and it was corrupt these religious leaders, they came up with their own temple currency. So when you came, you brought your sacrifice, and so they would look at your animal and go, oh, well, it's got a blemish. You need to buy one of ours, which isn't really as nice as yours, but we're going to say that it is. So you got to sell that as a loss and buy one of ours, right? And they're, so they're making money that way. Then they, you have to exchange your money for temple money. Well, of course, there's an exchange rate, so we have to take some money off the top. They're getting rich coming in. And then when they leave, whatever they have left in temple currency, they exchange. And, of course, there's an exchange rate. And, they lose. and so they're just being fleeced all the way around, and they are doing it in the name of God. And Jesus has watched this for 30-plus years, and he's like, this is enough. It was a righteous anger, God's anger, not human anger. And like I said, 99 times out of 100, 99.9 times out of 100, you going off is the wrong move. It doesn't accomplish what you want to accomplish. And then he shifts gear in verse 21. He says this, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Now, I, I believe in verse 21, he's referring back to the whole temptation thing that we talked about last week. We're only two or three verses away from that. But then he lumps sin in, or, or um, anger, and becoming angry, those outbursts of anger, he lumps that in with all the other temptations. 
this is, this is sin. Being an angry person is a sin. You know, and again, he's referring back to, to the temptation stuff, and the world was incredibly corrupt, uh, especially he's writing to churches in Corinth and Ephesus. They're pagan. I mean, the sexual, uh, in, sexual immorality and, and greed and all the, all the immorality you could imagine. And he's, he's like, get rid of that. Get rid of the moral filth. Stop living like the world around you. And one of the things that you need to do to stop living like the world around you Get this anger issue out of your life. Purge your life of these things, including anger. What James is saying, and one of the themes that we will find throughout this book, is that you can't just go on doing the same things all week long, living the same way all week long, and then show up on Sunday and say, oh God, please forgive me, and then go do it all again and not be willing to change, not be willing to purge these things out of your life. Now, lots of grace in the purging. We're not going to get it perfect every time. You will have moments. But if you're not trying, God's not going to be played. He's not. God will not be played. And James makes that perfectly clear. He says, get this crap out of your life. And that's what it is. And then he says, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept these teachings of Jesus. And isn't it interesting, week four of James, what has been the theme through all four weeks? Humility. The key to the Christian life. Humility. Humbly accept the fact that Jesus is smarter than you. Humbly accept the fact that he is Lord and you are not. Submit to his teachings. Don't just assent to them. Oh, yeah, I believe that. Actually live them out. Accept that he's smarter than you. Accept that his teaching is right and do it. And learn to live his teaching. And as we do, it will save us. And I don't mean just save us like we get to heaven when we die. I mean, it saves us in this life from all kinds of pain and sets us up to live a completely countercultural, different way that is beautiful and distinctively awesome, where our families are better and healthier, where our kids are better and healthier, where our lives, other people look at them and go, I don't know what it is that you have, but I want that. Humbly accept these teachings. Humbly accept the words of Jesus. Humbly accept what I'm presenting to you now. Stop living as an angry person. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. And we're going to pick up there next week. You have to live it out. You have to accept it. But this week, I want to leave you with this. And if you are taking notes, we gave you a pen on the way in so you can and some paper to write on. I encourage you to write down these three questions. First, do you have an anger issue? And don't just write that down. I want you to spend some time this week reflecting, asking God, meditating on that. Do you have an anger issue? Because sometimes anger isn't just an outburst, of, you know, and curse words. Sometimes it's just an edge. 
And that can carry just as much weight. Second, who do you need to apologize to? You know, I, I know there are adults walking around today in this room who can point to scars in their hearts that go back to angry outbursts that they experienced from their parents when they were kids. And guys, parents, we're all going to have angry outbursts. We're human. But have you apologized? Do you apologize? Do you need to apologize? Do you have an adult child who is walking around wounded because they're carrying around a scar that you inflicted on them when they were little? Who do you need to apologize to? Your kids, your spouse, your parents, your adult children? And the third question is this. What will it take for you to become quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? What will it take for you to become quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? And I encourage you to spend some time, even as we sing these songs that we're about to sing, ask God these questions, ask him to speak into your heart, and spend some time this week reflecting on this. Guys, this is such an important lesson that James gives us. And if we can get it into our heads, into our hearts, and out into our hands in the way that we live, it can change everything. And Lord Jesus, I pray that it does. I pray, Lord, that you would help us this week to take this seriously, to live differently, to seek you and your power, because we can't overcome this without you, Lord. Help us to become the kind of people that, that listen to understand. Lord, help us to become the kind of people that, that ask questions in such a way that shows we're trying to understand. Lord, help us to, to orient our lives away from the selfishness of this world and to become otherly people. God, would you transform us and make us more like you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.